gifts and privileges as God's people in the fellowship of serving each other and serving the Lord Jesus. As we come, we do thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have chosen us to be among your people. We pray that you enable us to grow in holiness and compassion, kindness and humility, that we might learn gentleness. Please make us more like the Lord Jesus day by day. We thank you for forgiving us our sins. Please help us to forgive others just as we've been forgiven. We praise you for making peace between us and yourself. Enable us, we pray, to be peacemakers also, especially in our church family. Please enable us to honour the teaching of the Lord Jesus by encouraging each other as we hear and sing, as we bring our praises to you and as we look at your word in the moments ahead. We come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Have you ever heard someone say, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian? Most of us have heard that, haven't we? Of course, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. Pretty obvious, isn't it? Another way to respond to this statement is to say, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but if you are a true Christian, you should go to church. Good answer. Some of them may say, where in the Bible does it say you have to go to church? You've probably heard that one as well. Well, the answer is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. That's where the answer comes. Today I want us to lead us in the study of these two verses, focusing mostly on them. I want to start off by looking at the wider and then the immediate context of these two verses because a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. Have you heard that one before? It's been around for a while. Uh, Don Carson attributes it to his father, but uh, it's been around for a long. I'll read it again if you haven't heard it before. Because we look at the context, the wider context, because a context, uh, a text rather without a context is a pretext for a proof text. You know what proof texts are? Verses you take out of context in order to prove a point that may not be biblical anyway because it's taken out of context. They do it to politicians all the time, don't they? They edit out. Uh, Sometimes they even change the question and have the answer there that wasn't the answer to that question just to make their point. And we do that with the Bible sometimes, so it's important to do that. So then I want to also look at the immediate context of the verses as well and then uh, I want to plan, uh, rather define the, the words that we find in this verse to help us understand what it's saying to us. And then lastly, I want to look quickly at a few cross-references that also deal with this subject of regular church attendance. So the wider context. The tabernacle and the testament and the temple, rather, of the Old Testament are forerunners to the New Testament concept of church. In turn, all three, the tabernacle, the temple, the church, are pictures of the heavenly throne room of God in heaven where all true believers will gather for worship in the new heaven and the new earth come. I don't know if you've visited a cathedral or a, a more traditional kind of uh, church building and you often find that the design is laid out like a cross. Uh, more to the point, uh, when you go down to the front there's usually a, a fence or a barrier across the front which of course is a kickback to the Old Testament concept of the tabernacle and the temple where only the priests can go past that particular point. And up there also you find an altar. That's the Old Testament system. It's uh, going back to that concept of the holiest of holies which was set apart from the people. 
But this reminds us also that uh, our concept of church and worship actually come from the Old Testament. I was quite surprised when I was reading the verses around the immediate context of these verses 24 and 25 in Hebrews 10 to see that the same sort of terminology was used for their worship in the tabernacle and the temple. So the book of Hebrews is all about this concept of the the changeover. As evangelical believers, we no longer maintain a separation between the priest and the people. We no longer refer to the minister as a priest, although sometimes we call him other things, but we won't mention that. As true believers, of course, we are all priests. Have you heard of that doctrine called the priesthood of all believers? It's one of those foundational Protestant uh, doctrines that we hang on to very strongly. So we no longer need an altar as well. Why? Because Jesus was sacrificed once for all to pay the price for our sin. We no longer have to worship and have fellowship focused on things like the temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 tells us this. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. So the book of Hebrews is written like a sermon uh, and it seeks to explain how the Christian church has superseded the Old Testament structures. The sacrificial system has been replaced. The Old Covenant has been replaced with the New Covenant. We don't just gather for worship and fellowship on special festival occasions or the Sabbath. No, that's all been replaced. Uh, We gather together, of course, on the first day of the week as the early disciples did as well. So the book of Hebrews is all about these concepts and these changes that have been brought about by the Lord Jesus. And of course all that he did focuses on heaven, as I said earlier, uh, the final culmination of history and all these uh, symbols that we find in the Old Testament. So it's all about, Hebrews is all about um, Jesus fulfilling and superseding and replacing the old system with the new system, the wider context that is of Hebrews. The immediate context, well in chapter 10 he starts off in verses 1 to 18, the writer of the book of Hebrews highlights the Old Testament people's way of worshipping God uh, through the sacrificial system, through the festivals and through all that that went with it as well. He notes the differences between worship based on ritual, on religious activities and worship that now comes from the heart because we've been given a new heart in the new covenant. When the Lord Jesus came, he made one sacrifice, once for all, resulting in forgiveness of sin and changed hearts and minds. The new covenant. Thank God for the new covenant. In verses 19 to 21, we are told that we can now draw near to God in that holiest of holy area with confidence, even into this most holy place, that only the high priest could go under the old system. We can only do this because Jesus has shed his blood as the sacrifice for our sin. Praise God for that. We can now enter into the holiest of holies. In verses 22 to 23 we read that we should persevere in our worship of God, fully assured that we are forgiven and cleansed and free from guilt. Praise God for that as well. In verse 24 we are commanded to constantly be thinking of ways that we can be stimulating each other by doing good deeds, demonstrating love to our fellow believers. Have you done that lately? You can do it today. You're doing it right now. 
your presence encourages fellow believers. In verse 25, we are warned not to allow the bad habit of skipping church services to creep in so that we'll be able to continue to encourage and be encouraged in our mutual faith and service. Verses 26 to 31, we're also warned that knowing these things and not doing them puts us outside the new covenant made by Christ and that will result in judgement and hell. Very strong warnings that Zach read to us earlier. Allowing the habit of skipping church is a serious matter that must be avoided if we are to avoid condemnation and judgement. To reject Jesus is even more serious than rejecting the law and that will result in a more severe punishment. Does it really say that? Yes, it does. So summarising. So we see that these verses, the context of these verses, talks about this privilege of drawing near to God in corporate worship and fellowship. It's a great blessing and a great privilege and a great responsibility. It should not be treated lightly or casually because it's been made possible. Why? Who by? By Jesus shedding his blood on the cross. That's why we should take church attendance seriously. Let's unpack verses 24 and 25 and see what we should be doing when we do meet together for fellowship and worship. Definition of words. It starts off let. The word let means to allow or permit. We must not hinder, stop or obstruct people's freedom to meet together for worship and fellowship. In these days of COVID-19, it's very uh, controversial in uh, many places with uh, governments and health authorities uh, having prevented or hindered people from worshipping God. It's been particularly evident in the USA due to their very strict views of separation of church and state, much stricter than our concept of that. The Pilgrim Fathers, of course, fled persecution in Europe so that they could be free to worship the way they saw fit to do so. This was also one of the main reasons, among others, that their war of independence took place, resulting, among other things, in the strict separation of religion and government authority, which was formalised in their constitution. So they take it much more seriously than what we do, which is why they're reacting differently, if you've noticed online or if you've been reading some of the news stories. The situation here, of course, is quite different and it's different in other countries and other cultures around the world, But, of course, the same problem exists. COVID-19 in various places is causing quite a number of difficulties. In Myanmar at the moment, they're only opening the main roads. All the side roads that come to the main road are all barricaded and people are told to stay at home literally. You're allowed to go out to shop, I think, once a week. So it's quite restrictive. And Paul has outlined to us this morning how much freedom we have. We now have an extra few singers out the front. So it's, uh, it's improving and we are looking forward to more freedom. But our response, of course, to these government restrictions has been different to many of the churches that we see in the United States. Our next word is us. Notice the word is plural. It refers in the first instance to the recipients of this letter, the book of Hebrews, and by application it applies to all true believers. Yes, you, me, each one of us, us. Through the Bible commentary says... We need to study the word of God together. God has something for a group that he will not give to any one individual. We are not to forsake the assembling ourselves together. If you have a Bible study at your church, be sure to go because there is a blessing for you there that you can't get when you study the Bible by yourself. So not only does this apply to Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, 
but also other opportunities to study God's word. Our next word is the word consider. To consider is to think, to think carefully about something or some things that are important. It means to contemplate, to reflect, to make allowances for something. The Greek word means to reckon or calculate, to give careful consideration and be concerned about something. The New Open Bible says this, the ultimate reason that we should participate in local church is because it's specifically commanded by God. The writer of Hebrews points out that members of the local church have an obligation to one another. They are to provoke one another to good works and to exhort one another to live consistent lives worthy of God. (coughs) Our next word is how. The word how is a practical word that speaks of a way of to do something. It is focused on achieving actions, results, rather than an idea or a philosophy. To spur means to stimulate, to encourage, to motivate. It's an old English word, the old English word we often used to use was the word exhort or exhortation. (coughs) It speaks of a pricking instrument with a sharp point. It is used to arouse or incite action. I don't know if you remember the old cowboy moves but the, the cowboys always had spurs on their boots. There's a song that you might remember about, I um, um, can't think of the name now, the, the lotion he had and uh, he woke up the next morning and his silver spurs were gone and a dollar and a dime. He got ripped off. If you were a rich cowboy you could have silver spurs. Uh, it's pretty important. But what do you use those for? Well, they're nasty things. They've got sharp points on them. It seems cruel, doesn't it, to kick the poor old horse to keep it moving. But uh, sometimes horses need stimulation. Cattlemen also use electric prods in our modern day uh, to keep stock moving in the right direction. They also seem to be a bit cruel sometimes, but it works. Well, that's what this word spur means. It reminds me of a story of a, uh, a church in America, and I think it's only a story, <clears throat> and you'll get why when I tell you the story, but uh, uh, they had a, a number of rich people in their church. Uh, the reason they were rich is because they hung on to their money. So they were having a, like we have our building fund Sunday, you know, where we encourage people to give towards our building fund. And so in order to get some of these rich people to uh, volunteer to give, they wired up some of the chairs where they know the rich people sit. It's like the pennies, you always find us there and you find you there and Some of us have our set seat. And so when it came time to who will donate $500, the guy behind would push the button and up and jump the rich villain and and yell out. (coughs) That's what it means to be stimulated. (coughs) Yeah, that's right. It doesn't pay to be rich. But uh, we might try that for the next building fund day. (coughs) So uh, watch out. So that's what it means. We're, We're to meet together for that purpose, to spare one another on. And sometimes... It takes a sharp jab, doesn't it? A sharp comment. You need to be blunt. Blunt, sharp. It's, you know, that's one of our colloquial Australian expressions that people in Myanmar get quite confused about. I tell them the book of James is really pointed. It's very blunt. It gets straight. You just said two opposites. and That's our colloquial expression. Well, who do we do this for? We to do it for the next words, one another. One another means each other. Brothers, sisters, believers, all of us, you and I. No one in the fellowship is left out. It applies to all of us. We all need to be spurred on 
in our Christian faith. The Bible exposition commentary says, fellowship with God must never become selfish. Apparently, some of the wavering believers have been absenting themselves from the church fellowship. It is interesting to note that the emphasis here is not on what a believer gets from the assembly, but rather on what he can contribute to the assembly. Faithfulness in church attendance encourages others and provokes them to love and good works. You may not feel that you need fellowship and encouragement, but it's not just about you. Your presence spurs others to keep going as well, in spite of suffering and hardship, which we all experience. So don't wait to be encouraged. Sorry, don't wait to be encouraged, be an encourager. That's worth saying twice, isn't it? Don't wait to be encouraged, be an encourager. It's a bit like if you want people to be friendly, you need to be friendly. And uh, generally it comes back to you. Our next word is the word towards. This speaks of direction, a goal or a purpose, a desired outcome. What is our purpose for meeting together? What is the result of our desired outcome? What is your goal? What is your goal in coming to church week by week? Is it only selfish or do you realise that we need each other? Our next word is love. We all need love, real love, real compassion, the caring for each other. Which Greek word do you think is used here for love? Yeah, some of you mouthed it already, haven't you? There are three, aren't they? Eros, Philios and Agape, or if you're American, Agape. Americans are wrong, we got it right. <coughs> so this is the, talk, the kind of love that we're talking about, this unconditional love. Love that doesn't just love people because they're lovely. We love in spite of people's idiosyncrasies. We're a bit of a weird mob, aren't we? When you look around where I'm here, I can see you all and we're all so different and some of us are quite strange, really. (coughs) (coughs) But uh, we can still get on, can't we? You're probably saying, yeah, Ted, you're a bit strange sometimes. (coughs) But yeah, we are different but we all need love. That's the difference, isn't it? And uh, if we want to be a loving church, we need to show love. You say, oh, we need to be a loving church? Well, we need to take action to do that. We need to work towards it. This is a kind of love which should be part of our goal and our purpose in meeting together, to show love for each other. That's why we find it so hard not to be able to shake hands or hug on Sunday mornings because of these restrictions, because we want to express that love we have for each other. We want to encourage each other in this way. Are we spurring and stimulating each other? Uh, Are we motivating each other to show this kind of unconditional love? Is this why we come to church? Our next words are the words good works. Good works are deeds and actions that are wholesome, worthwhile and honourable. So love and compassion must be combined with practical actions and not just words and feelings. Interestingly, the Greek word for good means advantageous, fitting, beautiful, important. That's some of the things that we should be doing in church. The King James Bible commentary says this, If a man's faith will not get him to church, it is doubtful if it will get him to heaven. I like that. (laughs) It's a challenge, isn't it? Further, the importance of assembling is both subjective and objective. It benefits the individual with spiritual stability and growth and then objectively, it benefits objectively by its positive effect on others. 
the church meeting is far more than a place for one to be entertained or to hear, for these can be accomplished through radio or television or the internet. Many churches today have this emphasis on entertainment. There really is a fine line between entertainment and being led to worship and to praise God and sometimes we can cross over that line. But other churches, of course, focus, particularly the tele-evangelist type churches, on entertaining people and you've got to put on a better show than the church down the road, otherwise people leave and go to the place that has the better show. And, of course, that's not primarily what church is about. The next words we've got are, let us not give up. These words mean that we must not cease, stop or abandon this combining of love and action, the spiritual and the physical, love and action. Not giving up means that we exercise endurance and perseverance in our worshipping and serving one another. So we come to church even if we don't feel like it because we're persevering. When you feel like giving up is when you most need fellowship with other believers. We forget that, don't we? It's like someone who is depressed and discouraged. What you want to do is avoid people. What you need to do is mix with people because we can encourage each other and build each other up and give us each other perspective. How do we ensure that we don't abandon our task? By committing to attend the regular meeting together for fellowship and worship. Not just church, but Bible study as well, if you're able. The NIV application commentary says this. The author of Hebrews sees their discontinuance of common fellowship and worship as fatal for perseverance in the faith. Encouragement cannot take place in isolation. Christians are to display a deep care and concern for one another, expressed not only through positive support and reassurance, but also through reproof and warnings. Skipping church can be fatal. Driving to church can be fatal too, depending on how good a driver you are, hey? But skipping church can be fatal to your faith. Our next words are meeting together. To obey these instructions we must be gathered together and fellowshipping face to face. And you've got to add now, where possible. (laughs) Sometimes that can't happen. With COVID-19 it's been very difficult. It's taught us really the value of close personal fellowship when we can greet each other, shake hands and even hug as we mentioned earlier. We can talk on social media, we can make phone calls, we can watch sermons online but there's nothing like face to face person-to-person contact. Mind you, being able to see and talk to your loved ones overseas on Skype or WhatsApp comes as a pretty good second um, choice. Um, Sunday nights, most Sunday nights, Sue and I Skype with Naomi and uh, usually for half an hour, sometimes longer, and we can see each other quite close up. And it's uh, really encouraging. It's a, a real blessing to us and I'm sure to her as well as she's mentioned that. So face-to-face, social media's got its place but there's nothing like being here in the real now. The Jamison, Fawcett and Brown commentary quoting Ignatius, who's one of the early church fathers, when he said this, When ye frequently and in numbers meet together, the powers of Satan are overthrown and his mischief is neutralised by your like-mindedness in the faith. Then the comment with that, to neglect such assembling together might end in apostasy at last. These are days of apostasy, that is, falling away. Church attendances are down across the world. People are less and less attending church and we need to guard against that. Our next words are, some of you. So this is a rebuke not for everyone, 
but just a select few. It's only some of you, not all of us, just some of you. I guess every church fellowship has a few people who do not care enough about themselves and others to be bothered to meet together for mutual encouragement. Because you are here or you're watching online would indicate that you that I'm preaching to you, the converted, because you're here. You're already convinced or you're listening. But of course this verse is also warning about the danger we all face from time to time where we don't come for whatever reason. How much does it stop you to come to church on Sunday morning? COVID-19, of course, has provided an excuse for a lot of people not to come. If they're looking for a reason to drop out, COVID-19 gives you one. But make sure after COVID-19... You come back to church or you go back to church, wherever you might be. Such people often feel that they don't need fellowship and they don't need encouragement. As I said before, it's not about you. It's not just about you. Others need your fellowship, even if you think you don't. This is almost a worldwide problem of people dropping out from church we need to address. Jesus warns us that there would be a falling away in the last days. Make sure you're not amongst that number. The Wycliffe Bible Commentary says it very well. It says, With assurance comes concern for others. This is manifest by a willingness of believers to assemble together, verse 25, and also their willingness both to give and to receive helpful exhortation and instruction. Assembly and fellowship are two evidences of vital faith. When zeal flags and faith weakens, the desire to fellowship with other believers weakens also. We need to guard against that. Is your faith lacking vitality? Make sure you get fellowship together. Our next word is habit. What is a habit? Well, it's a routine, a a custom, even a tradition. Some of us come to church because of our upbringing and that's okay, so long as we move from that motivation to our desire to ourself, our own discipline to attend church. (coughs) Regular attendance takes self-discipline, determination, a plan, a commitment to stick to that plan. We can all do that, not just on Sunday mornings, we do it every day. Most of you have got clean teeth and brushed hair. I say most of you, there's probably a few exceptions. Uh, how, how do we do that? It's because we have habits built into our life. We need to develop these good habits and regular attendance is one of them. In our household, there's never any discussion about going to church Sunday morning. It's a given. That's what we do. We automatically get up and get going unless circumstances stop that. One Sunday morning last year, was it last year? Yep. Uh, I was stopped from coming to church. We got to the exit on the M31 and the engine in our car blew up, literally. <laughs> uh, Sue made it. Uh, somebody else was coming past, picked us up, picked them up. By the time I got here, it was all over. So there are circumstances to prevent you. And some of you, of course, who are watching online are, are limited. You can't get out. You, uh, you don't have the physical ability to do that. But that's a different story to a bad habit that can be developed over time. How much does it stop? Does it take to stop you from coming to church? Do you need to develop a good habit? Hopefully you've already got that habit there. Uh, another commentary called Opening Up Hebrews says this, Human nature changes little and the temptation to keep aloof from fellowship happened in the first century as much as in the 21st century. There was ignorance of the truth about the importance of togetherness in the work of the gospel. This is talking about the early church. There was a spirit of superiority believing that I do not need others. There was a fear 
of being counted among a dubious crowd. You don't want to meet with those Christians. And there was a natural laziness, not wanting to demand a commitment, not wanting to demanding a commitment. Have you developed a bad habit of skipping church from time to time? Do you need to reevaluate your priorities and practices? Are you really putting God first and showing his unconditional love to your fellow believers? Jesus said, love your neighbour as yourself. It's as simple as that. Are you really loving your neighbour? And next words are encourage one another. Encourage one another means to encourage. To encourage means to build up, to exhort, to stimulate. And as we saw earlier, to spur one another on in our Christian walk. One of the means of doing that um, for, for, for all of us, each of us, is not to make sure people are left out. It's one another, all of us. So sometimes people get left out and we need to guard against that. The John MacArthur Study Bible gives us this note. We need each other. We need to be in fellowship with each other as we mutually strengthen each other and encourage each other. Our next word is the word more. The word more means increasingly, additionally, in greater quantity, amount or degree. In other words, let's not slacken off. No, rather, let's increase our efforts to encourage and stimulate each other in faith and works. Things will almost certainly get tougher in the days ahead. Persecution may come, may increase. Sickness, suffering, hardship, difficult circumstances, all that is ahead of us. How long should we continue to meet together? Well, our text tells us the answer, doesn't it? Until, our next words, until we see the day approaching. What is that day? The day of the Lord. Judgment day, the return of Jesus. The new heaven and the new earth. So, depending on how long that takes, we have to continue to meet together and encourage each other. The Life Application Study Bible gives us this quote. As we get closer to the day when Christ will return, we will face many spiritual struggles and even times of persecution. Anti-Christian forces will grow in strength. Difficulties should never be excuses for missing church services. Rather, as difficulties arise, we should make an even greater effort to be faithful in our attendance. Let me paraphrase what this verse says. In light of the fact that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law and that true believers now have forgiveness, we should seek to remove any hindrance to our fellowship and seek to motivate each other to grow in love <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> and for God and each other. This love needs to be shown in our actions and conduct. Meeting together like this will need to increase as we get closer to the final judgment day. So what are we going to do about it? How does this apply to us? Let me give you a list. I'll go through them quickly. I should thank the Lord Jesus for filling the Old Testament for me so that I need no longer to live under its curse. I should thank the Lord Jesus for providing me with forgiveness of sin, past, present and future. I should avoid things that seek to prevent me from meeting together with my fellow believers. I need to make the meeting for fellowship a priority, particularly on Sundays. I should seek to grow in my love for God and my fellow believers. I need to show my love to my fellow believers by my actions and conduct. I need to endeavour to stimulate my fellow believers to do the same so that they may grow in their love for God and each other. 
I need to bear in mind that the need for this type of vital fellowship and encouraging each other will increase the closer I get to Judgment Day. I will try to remember and to thank God for every opportunity I have to meet together for fellowship with my fellow believers. That's the application. So let's look in in closing and concluding uh, some other references. So Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 is not the only place that tells us we should meet together. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, you can call this really the first church. They They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods uh, they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad, sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. The church of Colossae that Paul read to us earlier. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And all of these virtues and with all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. We probably should have said there, sing those songs under your breath. (laughs) But one day we'll be able to sing again. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as you long, as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Titus 3.8 This is a trustworthy saying and I want to stress these things so that those who are trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Psalm 122 verse 1 I rejoice with those who said to me let us go into the house of the Lord. I like the King James. I was glad when they said unto me let us go into the house of the Lord. Matthew 18:20, Where two or three come together in my name there am I with them. They're great promises aren't they? In a few hours hopefully Paul and I and a few friends we're going on a camping trip out in the bush tonight hopefully we'll have a campfire. There's nothing like sitting around a good fire watching the flames and the coals but sometimes what happens is one of the logs roll out from the fire and unless you put it back it doesn't take very long for that log to go out to lose its heat. That's what Christian fellowship is like. When we meet together we're like a good solid fire but if we start neglecting we get that bad habit and we leave the fellowship It's not very long before we become cold and we lose our fire, we lose our power. Let me lead you in prayer. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending the Lord Jesus to bring about our forgiveness and our salvation. 
We are grateful for bringing us into fellowship with you and all our fellow believers. We thank you for the many, many times that we've spurred, we've spurred along and been encouraged by our, by our fellow believers. Please forgive us for those times we have forsaken the freedom we have to meet together for fellowship and worship. Please forgive us for allowing the bad habit of skipping church to feed our introspection and our selfishness. Please forgive us for thinking more about our needs, likes and dislikes, instead of actively seeking to show your kind of love to each other. Please enable us by the power of your Holy Spirit to continue to encourage each other, especially when we go through hard times. We ask your blessing to be particularly experienced by those who cannot meet together due to their circumstances beyond their control. Please grant your, uh, them a sense of your closeness and peace and forgiveness as they face uh, whatever it might be, persecution, uh, time in hospital, in retirement villages, even those in prison. We also pray for those who are shift workers like doctors and nurses and police, the military and prison guards. Please help all those who are prevented from regular worship and fellowship with their fellow believers. Please help them to maintain uh, their fellowship when they can, whenever they can. We acknowledge that uh, it's uh, no good for us just to be uh, meeting together but we need to be spurring one another on. So help us to do that, we pray. We often avoid exhorting one another out of fear of offending or speaking uh, too much truth without love. So help us, we pray, to be wise in how we do that. We ask that you motivate us to be faithful followers of the Lord Jesus with one eye on heaven and judgment day to come. We ask all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.